Nothing like being loved by the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Psalm 65 this morning. Psalm 65. While you're turning there, finding that psalm in your Bibles, on your phones, wherever you want to follow along, just a couple things. Don't forget, Saturday, November the 2nd is our church picnic. We're going to begin to, you know, have sign-ups for that, let you know what others are bringing, what we're planning, so that you can plan accordingly about that in a couple weeks. Also, don't forget about Stephen's fourth of his five seminars on the problem of evil tonight, 6.30, right back here in the auditorium. Christmas decorations, I will direct you to either see my wife Lisa or Elizabeth Jackson about Christmas decorations for that. And then I wanted to say we just finished our series through the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night last week. So this Wednesday, I'm starting a new series through the book of Philippians. And I'm entitling the entire series, Fighting for Joy. And the reason I'm titling that is Philippians is a book of joy. Paul uses the word joy and rejoicing all the time. But he teaches us in this letter that you and I, even as God's followers, need to be willing to fight for it. And for this reason, he points out that many times, even as Christians, we settle for a joy that is less than what joy we could have that God wants to give us. And so he's saying, you and I, let's not settle for a lesser joy than the joy that God wants to give us that God could give us in our lives. Let's experience God's joy. And so we're going to talk about that beginning Wednesday night. We hope you'll come back 7 o'clock right here in the auditorium for some more worship and getting into the Word. Psalm 65. We're in the middle of a sermon series on, Wednesday, on Sunday mornings on the heart of worship. Looking at Psalms that deal with the worship of God and asking God to create in all of us a, a greater heart to worship him, to not just be a believer in Jesus Christ, to not just be a follower of Jesus Christ, but to be an everyday worshiper of Jesus. And we've realized through this that it's a heart issue. It's not about externals like the songs that we sing and all of that, it's about our heart. If our heart is truly the Lord's and we're all in with God, then the worship of God will take care of itself. So in this psalm this morning, David, the king of Israel at this time, the leader of God's people, is asking God's people, I, I want us to pause, he's saying. And let's remember and acknowledge who our God is. And that as we do that, as the people of God, it should inspire and motivate our worship of God because here in this psalm, David is reminding God's people we should worship God because he's the God of grace. Let's praise him for being the God of grace. We should praise him because he's the God of wonder and we should also praise him because he's the God of blessing. In fact, if there's a title that I would give to this psalm, it would be Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Amen. 
So I want you to notice with me, first of all, as we get into this psalm, that uh, let's begin at the heading before we even get to verse 1. This is for the music director or the worship leader, if you will, the, the Nicole uh, of, of the temple. And this is a psalm of David, the king of Israel, and it's a song because we have seen that God wants to be worshipped and that many times his desire is to be worshipped with instruments and with voices and to sing about him and to, to praise him. And so here again we have that opportunity. But before we get into looking at the God of grace and the God of wonder and the God of blessing this morning, I want to go back to something we've also talked about the previous five weeks of this series, and that is that true worship is God-centered. You see that with the pronoun you all through this psalm. Notice verse 2. You hear our prayers. Verse 3, you forgive our sins. Verse 4, you allow us to live in your palace courts. Uh, Verse 6, you created the mountains. Verse 7, you calm the raging seas. Uh, Verse 9, you visit the earth and give it rain. You make it rich and fertile. You provide grain. Verse 10, you saturate its furrows. You crown the year, verse 11, with your good blessing. It is God-centered. It's about God. And too often, even as God's people and even in the church, we make our worship more about us as human beings than we do about God. That that God can get lost in our worship, especially when we focus so much on seeking to, you know, sort of woo and wow human beings by our, our natural abilities or the talents or even the gifts that God has given us, whether it be as a speaker or as a musician or as a vocalist. And, and listen, we have wonderful folks here that are part of our worship team every week, but I love the fact that here at the Oasis, their heart is always, I don't want to be the center of attention of anybody up here. I want to do the best I can for my God, but I don't want it to be about me. I want to hide behind the cross, and I want it to be about God. And I appreciate that. I always hope that that comes out as I speak, that you realize that if, if you're getting anything out of the message and if God is using me at all, that I hope you realize it's not Jeff Royce. It is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what we want here. We, we don't want us as human beings and even maybe the skills and abilities and talents and gifts that God's given us to be the, the focal point. We want God and the God behind it all to be the focal point. Amen. And so true worship is God-centered. But in the first four verses here of this great psalm, David says, followers of God, We need to pause for a moment and remind ourselves that our God is the God of grace and therefore he should be praised and he should be worshipped in song. In fact, David in the first four verses reminds us of the God of grace in the fact that he hears our prayers, verse 2, that he forgives our sin, verse 3, and again then in verse 4, he allows us to live in his house. Let's go back to verse 1, though, and look at this. 
David says, praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. The word await speaks about actually a silence. And David here is exclaiming, you know, at this point, I can't even find the words that, that I want to use to express to you, Lord, how much you mean to me, how much I adore you, how much I want to celebrate you. And I can't even find the words. I cannot articulate it yet. So I'm just waiting until those words come. You ever been there whenever God has just, you know, been so, so good and so near and, and, and you've just been captivated, if you will, by the Lord and by his heart for you and all of this that, that you don't even have the words to express to God? That's where David is. You see, sometimes it is about singing and shouting and, and giving God glory, but sometimes we're so moved by, by the Lord and by his love for us and all that that we can't even get it out. But then David says at the end of verse 1, vows made to you, oh yeah, they're fulfilled. And David is simply saying there, if we've made promises to the Lord, oh my goodness, we're going to follow through with them. Why? Because God, you deserve our very best. Amen. In a sense, David is saying, God, you get the first fruits. <laughs> because this psalm, Psalm 65, was also called a harvest psalm. It was a psalm that I think David wrote in the fall harvest and, and, and where it was celebrating the goodness of God as the harvest was being brought in. And he's reminding the people that, that we should bring God our very best, even in our worship. That's why I encourage you guys. Look, I'm not trying to be legalistic about this or anything. I'm just trying to create, even in this church, a heart of worship for God so that, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to want to be on time and to want to be in the auditorium at 10 o'clock ready to worship the Lord. And that when we're here, man, we're, we might even be tired. We might have even worked Saturday night. I get that. Some of you do. And you make the effort to come here. God bless you for the extra effort you make. But man, make sure that when you come, you're able to give God your very best because he deserves our very best. Amen. And if we're going to sing, we're not just going to sing. <laughs> we're going to open up our mouth and we're going to let it flow. And I realize some of you hold back because you say, well, God, but God didn't give me a voice you know, like he gave Nicole or, or some others here. God doesn't care about that. <laughs> God wants you to make a joyful noise. Amen? That's what it's all about because, again, you may think you don't have a very attractive or appealing voice, but when you and I lift up our voices with everything we've got to the Lord, it's sweet to him. Amen. It's sweet to him. Think about it even from this perspective. And I'm in that season right now with my own grandchildren, but even as parents with children, they may bring you something that, you know, Let's say a, 
a picture that they've colored. And it's not necessarily within the lines and it might not even be the right color and whatever. But when they give that to you, that's precious to you. That's the most beautiful picture you've ever seen. And God's that way with us. When he sees that we have a heart for him and we just want to give back to him, that is precious in his sight. So that's where David is at. But then he does say in verse 2, oh my goodness, should we never forget how gracious God is to us and that he hears our prayers. Can I say, I thank you, God, you hear my prayers. And he may not answer my prayers in the timing that I want him to or even answer them in the way that I want him to. But I always know this, God's ears are always tuned to my voice and to my prayers. And I am thankful, God, that you are a God of grace who is always there for me and always is willing to hear my prayers when I pray to you. David says, you hear my prayers and all people approach you. Don't miss what David's saying there. He says, God is a God of grace and that he's always approachable. He's always accessible. Think of this. He's the God of the universe. And yet we have human beings who aren't even approachable or accessible. Somehow they're too important to open themselves up to maybe helping someone or having an audience with someone, you know, they've gotten so big and so important in this world that they, they can't just do that. Well, I'm just so thankful that God, even though he's the greatest being in the universe, is still willing to stoop down and bend down and have an audience with Jeff and with you Amen. anytime we want. I love that about my God. And again, it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. It's simply because he's a God of grace. And he says, I'm a holy God, but I, I want you presence. I want you to be with me. Come on in. You know, how many invitations do we see from God in the Bible? Even Jesus, when he was here on earth, come to me, all you who are weary. Come. Over and over again, the message of the Bible is God says, Come. I'm approachable, I'm accessible. And even for the unbeliever, all we have to do is say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. I believe that he's the son of God. And Lord, I, I'm coming through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that opens up that way of me so that I can boldly and confidently approach you at any time. And can I say amen to that grace as well? And then he says, Lord, verse 3, our record of sins overwhelms me. In fact, even when you and I maybe begin to think about our own sin, not even cumulative, the, the world's sin, but just our sin can get a little overwhelming, right? And yet David says, but you forgive every act of rebellion against you. Here's the great thing about God as far as being the God of grace. The Bible teaches us he not only forgives, he's ready to forgive. That's amazing. 
We're so many times, even as Christians, unwilling to forgive others, and yet the Bible says God is always ready to forgive. Amen. What a God of grace. And then he says in verse 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose. You allow us to live in your palace courts to experience and engage with your presence in your house. David is magnifying the privilege of God's presence in our midst. And may we never forget that. Even here at the Oasis, because every church does not experience the presence of God like we've been experiencing here. That's not an automatic thing. Just because it's got a, a cross somewhere or a steeple somewhere or stained glass somewhere or it's called a church doesn't mean the presence of God is there. So when you and I find a church, a community of believers where we know that the presence of God is there, we can feel him amongst us. We, we know that he's moving, that he's acting, that he's working, that he's with us. My goodness, we should praise him for being here with us because without him here, then why are we meeting in the first place? Amen. And especially as a pastor and someone that to me, the house of God should be a priority in our lives, and we're going to talk mainly about that next week. I love what David says at the end of verse 4. He says, may we be satisfied with the good things of your house. The spiritual blessings that come from being in the house of God and part of the house of God. And I just thought to myself, well, I think if people truly were satisfied with the the good things from your house, that they'd be in your house more. Notice David calls the house of God at the end of verse 4, your holy palace. Again, not because of the way it's decorated and how beautiful it is externally, but because of the spiritual blessings that are happening and taking place amongst God's people, that God has set this area apart to say, I'm going to meet with my people. I'm going to commune with them there. I'm going to manifest my presence in a special way because they have chosen to come together and to be together with me. David is picturing for us here that God is sort of the ultimate host and we are his honored guests. Amen. And that nobody is a better host than God. God is basically opening up the doors of his house saying, come on in. And he is setting a table before us. And I mean, it's the most magnificent table you and I could ever sit down to. And you and I, I'm pretty sure, especially at the Oasis, we've sat down to some mighty good tables. Amen. We've had some food spread out. We do every Sunday, every Wednesday, our potlucks, our church picnics. We know what it's like to have a magnificent table before us, but God is saying to his people, oh, I'm going to spread out a table that's the best table you've ever seen. Are we missing the blessings of God's table by not being in his house, taking part in the spiritual blessings that God has laid out for us here? You see. It's like many of the parables that Jesus shares about the invitation of God where God keeps inviting people to come, but they come up with one excuse after another why they don't take him up on his invitation. I think about us as the people of God. 
God opens up the doors of his house on a weekly basis and says, come on in. I got spiritual blessings for you. How many of us say, ah, I, got, I got more important things to do, God? Like, yikes. Shouldn't we be satisfied with the good things of his house? Realizing that there's no better host that we could ever have than God and that we should look at the privilege uh, the opportunity we have to come together as God's people as the greatest privilege and opportunity on this earth to experience God that way. So David starts out by reminding all of us as God's people, let's worship the Lord and praise him because he's a God of grace. But he doesn't stop there. Beginning in verse 5 through verse 8, he says, we also should worship and praise God because he's the God of wonder. He's the God of wonder. Notice, he says, you, you answer our prayers by performing awesome acts of deliverance, O God, our Savior. All the ends of the earth trust in you, as well as those living across the wide seas. You created the mountains by your power and demonstrated your strength. You calmed the raging seas and their roaring waves, as well as the commotion or the noise made by the nations. And the nations of the world can make a lot of noise. Even those living in the most remote regions or areas of the earth are all struck by your acts. You cause those living in the east and the west to praise you. Notice twice in this passage that David uses the word awesome or awestruck, and within that, those two words are the words all. David is saying, even as God's people, that you and I were created to live in the shadow of all. To not be so busy and not get so caught up that we don't look around and remind ourselves of the power of God and the wonder of God, not only in his creation, but even in, in how he's moving in other people's lives and how he's moving and working in our lives, that there is a, a power and a strength and a wonder that should create a sense of awe within us. In a sense, David is, is saying to all of us as God's people, are we allowing ourselves to be impacted by the greatness of our God? Or somehow are we missing that? Are we blind to his greatness? Are we blind to his wonder? I mean, go back to verse 5. He says, you answer our prayers, yes, and that's the God of grace, but it's many times by performing awesome acts of deliverance. I'll use my own life briefly. Many of you know that last year my mom passed away and I told the story of the fact that I was out there at that cemetery back in Maryland where I'm from and there's my father's, you know, uh, place and now there's my mom and then there was my brother and sister. And again, for those of you that don't know, my brother and sister died my, my brother died when he was four. My sister died when she was three before I was ever born. I wasn't even supposed to be here. In fact, all the doctors advised my parents after my brother and sister died of this rare blood disease to not have any more children. And yet my parents went on their knees and they believed God was telling them 
you try one more time, and I say it this time all the time, thank you, that my parents listen to God or I would not be here. But I, I think through my life even now, I'm just turned 58 years old, that God, you've allowed me to have a life that my brother and sister didn't have. And, and I don't know what happened between that time and maybe you did a miracle in my mom or whatever, but I thank you, God, that I'm even here at all. And then I look back at my life and there's at least two instances I can think of that it would have been very, very possible for me to have died in a car accident twice. And yet God spared me. Not only spared my life, but spared me from really having any major injuries from those car accidents. I go, God, you have certainly in my life performed amazing acts of deliverance. And there's even things throughout my day that I probably don't even know of that God has protected me from that I'll find out when I get to glory. And I just have to say, God, thank you. You're a God of wonder. Amen. And then David says, and I, I, it doesn't matter how far we go on earth. We could go all the way to the east of the, of the earth or all the way to the west. Everybody on earth can see the magnificence and wonder of God. Just look at the sunrise and sunset. Every day, the sun comes up, the sun sets, the moon comes up. Let me ask you, could we do that? No. No way. Stars come out every night. And I know we look up at the stars out there and I just go, my goodness, God, there's so many of them. I can't even separate them sometimes. I love this. David says, you created the mountains by your power. And we look at the great mountains and whether they're mountains here in Arizona or the Rocky Mountains or the Appalachians or the Adirondacks or wherever you go in this world and go, wow, the mountains. That's nothing to God. That was like a fingernail full of God's power. That was the fringes, as the prophet says, of God's power to do all this. The universe is so vast, you and I still haven't been able to come up with some kind of instrument to be able to even measure how vast the universe is. Oh, and let me share this with you. I was just reading this the other week, and I'm not trying to impress you with my knowledge. I'm just trying to pass on how powerful God is. The average hurricane, you're going, and there's, there's an average hurricane? Yeah. I think it's like the category two. It's not one, it's not three, four, five, it's two. That the category two hurricane, which is the average hurricane that happens in the Atlantic, Pacific, wherever, is as powerful at any moment than 200 nuclear bombs being set off all at the same time. That's how much energy is in an average hurricane. And that's just God, just, that's just a small pit of his nature. Oh, and then take the, the smallest, weakest, uh, less brilliant star out there in the sky, whatever it is, okay? Not the biggest stars that are beyond our comprehension, not the ones that burn so hot we can't even, again, understand how hot it is. I'm talking about the weakest, dimmest star. It puts off more energy at any one time than the entire electrical output of the earth 
10 times the 14th power. I realize that's the, I can't even go there. All I'm trying to say is God is strong. God is a God of wonder. And you and I, if we just opened up our eyes and our hearts and our minds and even just began to look around us and even into our own lives and go, God, you are an amazing God. Your wonder and, and the things that should cause me to be in all of you is, surrounds me. Why do I not live in all of you? Why do I not allow your greatness to impact me each and every day? And then David, beginning in verse 9, says, we should worship and praise God because he's the God of blessing. And David does go to the way God cares for the earth. And he's basically saying to all of us as human beings, you know, you and I sometimes, we can't even trust God to take care of our one little life. And yet do we not realize that God basically takes care of the entire universe that he created every day? If God can take care of the universe that he created, how do I think he can't take care of me? That's why David writes, you visit. By the way, the word visit means care for, to be attentive to. You care for the earth. You give it rain. You make it rich and fertile with overflowing streams full of water. You provide grain for them. You prepare the earth to yield its crops. You saturate its furrows and soaked its plowed ground with rain showers. You soften its soil and make its crops grow. Go to verse 12 and 13. The pastures in the wilderness glisten with moisture and the hills are clothed with joy. The meadows are clothed with sheep and the valleys are covered with grain. David's saying to all of us, do we not recognize how God cares for his own creation? And folks, we're not talking about something small here. We're talking about every human being that lives on earth, every animal that lives on earth. The universe with all the stars and planets and things that we can't even imagine that's out there and God makes sure it all is sustained and it holds together. That's why, honestly, I, I just, we live in a world where of such fear and where, where people just, you know, freak out at everything and, and, and want to then cause angst and, and all of that and everybody else. I mean, it's like every once in a while when there's an asteroid that's coming close to the earth. And you hear, oh my goodness, this could be the, the time where the earth is wiped out. This, if this asteroid hits, we're all gone. Do we not think over the time that the earth has been here and all, that there probably were other times that asteroids could have hit the earth and God just went, bing, there you go. Out into space, not going to happen. Here's why. Because my Bible tells me that even if Jesus was to come back today in the rapture, that God still has at least a thousand seven years planned for this earth. There ain't nothing happening to this earth until God says it's going to happen. And God is a God of wonder who can... Make sure it does happen, you see. Now, there is coming a day, the Bible says, where God's going to destroy this heaven and earth, but he's going to make a new one for us to dwell in because God's got it. And that's what David is saying here. He's the God of blessing who blesses us. And then I want you to go back to verse 11. This is a verse 
that is not only one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's a good reminder for Jeff Royce all the time. David says, God, you as the God of blessing, you crown the year with your good blessings. The word crown means to surround. That's what a crown is, right? It's, it's a round. So, so he's saying, Lord, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you're continually blessing us. Your blessing never runs out. It starts January 1st and it goes all the way through December 31st every year. You surround our years on this earth with your blessing. And then I love this. He says, oh, and God, you leave abundance in your wake. He, he's saying, do we not realize the embarrassment of riches or the abundance of riches that you and I have every day that are from the hand of God that is more than enough for us? And notice here, David is saying, you leave abundance in your wake. In other words, it's sort of like the things that God leaves behind as his presence passes by. It's like David saying, God, the crumbs from your king's table is better than anything I could have anywhere else. Just, just give me the crumbs. I'm good with that because it's more than enough. Sort of what that Syrophoenician woman said to Jesus when she was on earth, when she was asking Jesus to cast out the demon out of her daughter and her and Jesus was having this back and forth and in her humility as a Canaanite woman who was not part of the people of God at that point, she says, Jesus, I'd be satisfied with just the crumbs off the table. And Jesus turned her and says, you have great faith. Knowing that even the crumbs from God's table is better than anything anywhere else. It's like the fumes that God leaves behind is better than anything else. You leave more than enough in your wake. If we'll just have the faith to follow you, God, you are a God of blessing. Amen. Here's what you and I need to realize and remind ourselves of every day. There has never been a people on earth who's had more than what we have. And we've got to remind ourselves all those good things that we have come from him. Amen. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. Everything good that we have in our life, and we have more than any other people has ever had on this earth. And yet, even as God's people, many times we fail to thank God and worship him and praise him and celebrate him and bless his name for all the good things. No, because we get so caught up in the world's philosophy, we start to gripe and complain and lack contentment with what we've already got that is more than what anybody else has. And instead of thanking God for all that we do have. Amen. And David is simply saying, to the people of God and to himself as the king, let's not miss this opportunity. Let us stop and worship our God. Because notice, this psalm also begins with singing and ends with singing. Notice up at the beginning in the head It says, for the music director, a psalm of David, a song, 
And then at the very end of the song, what's happening? They shout joyfully. Yes, they sing. Now, Jesus even said when he was here on earth, if my people choose not to worship me and praise me, then the rocks will cry out. Now, there's part of me, it's like, I'd like to see that. But the bigger part of me, and I think that this is right for all of us, the bigger part of me, instead of seeing rocks cry out to the Lord and praise him, is not to miss the privilege and the honor and the opportunity that you and I as human beings have to be able to praise and worship our God. Amen? Amen. So guess what? Seeing that our God is a God of grace, he's a God of wonder, he's a God of blessing, Let's stand and praise the Lord, shall we? And let's pray before we do. God, we thank you for being such a wondrous God, an awesome God, a majestic God. God, you are a God of such blessings. You leave abundance in your wake. Even as you pass by, God, there's more than enough for us if we will be willing to even sit at your table. And even, Lord, the crumbs that fall from your table is more than we could ever ask for. And God, you are a God of wonder that should create in us every day a sense of all in who you are and, and who we are to you and what we have in you every day. And you are a God of grace. You hear our prayers. You forgive our sins. You allow us to live in your house as your honored guests, God. Lord, I pray this morning that this group of people that you have drawn here to this place, that we would lift up a mighty hallelujah to you today, God. That our hearts would be full, God, because of you that we would recognize that we are such a blessed people and that, God, we can't wait to praise you and worship you and celebrate you with our voices and with these songs of praise. And, God, may this not be the end, but may what we experience here in, in your house today just be the beginning of a whole week where we go through our lives each and every day praising you and worshiping you and celebrating you for being the God of grace and the God of wonder and the God of blessing that you are. We magnify you, God. We elevate you, God. We lift you up because you are worthy of our praise. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me as we worship the Lord this morning?